Let us worship God. Our first reading this morning is from the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning that we might hear a word from you this day. Amen. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of God that I am commanding you today by loving God, 
walking in God's ways and observing the commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away, and you do not hear but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
The second reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Luke, a portion of the 14th chapter. Let us listen for the word of God as it breathes through this troubling passage. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and said, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether there is enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when the foundation is laid and there is not enough to finish it, and all who see it will begin to ridicule, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. Or what ruler, going out to wage war against another ruler, will not sit down first and consider whether it is possible with 10,000 troops to oppose the one who comes with 20,000? And if one cannot, then while the other is still far away, the first sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. Amen. Once upon a time, there was a skinny little kid who would sit on the bleachers of his schoolyard with the other skinny little kids. They would watch the more athletic ones play ball. As he watched the others play, he would say, throw a ball, hit a ball, kick a ball. Is that the most we can think of to do? In the classroom, he was not slow, but he wasn't the brightest student either. So he tried to hide behind the smarter students by sitting towards the back of the classroom. Truth is, he was average. He was okay with his studies, and he was okay on the playground. But since he was so scrawny, he was picked on some by the bigger kids. That's another reason he sat in the back of the class. He learned fairly quickly that the best way to survive was just go with the flow. When kids are picked on, they learn fast that the safest place to be is in the middle of the crowd. Stay in the center of the school of fish so that when the predators come, one's chances of survival are greater. And that's the way he survived in school. By the time he finished high school, he had mastered the art of sitting in the back of the class to avoid being noticed by the teacher or the other students. And when he graduated, he was ranked solidly in the middle of his class, but he got into college, and he spent his first year of college doing exactly what he had always done to survive, sit in the back of the class. However, during his second year of college, the classes started sounding more interesting, and he thought that perhaps he should invest himself more in his education. So at the start of the next semester, As he walked to the first class, he was determined to do something different. Upon opening the door to 
the classroom, he noticed that he was the first one there. There's no professor. There were no other students. He stood in silence. And although it was over 40 years ago, I remember it as clearly as if it was yesterday. There I stood surveying the room. I looked at the back row of desks, and I looked at the front row of desks, and I made the crazy decision that for the first time ever, I would sit on the front row. Carefully, I made my way past several chairs until I stood in the center of that row, right in front of the professor's desk. I slowly put down my books, took a seat, and waited for the others to arrive, all the while thinking that this is the most insane thing I have ever done, but what do I have to lose? Something new happened to me that day. I really enjoyed the class. I listened to the professors talk intently. I was eager to read the assignment in the syllabus. I really liked the class. So I did the same thing in the next class, and the class after that, and amazingly, my grades shot up. At the end of the semester, I discovered that my middle-of-the-class solid C average had increased to almost straight A's. And as my college career progressed, I became more confident. I knew I could do it. And I had this wild thought that if I kept working hard, then I could maybe even get into graduate school. You see, since I had finally conquered my fear of being picked on, and since I had learned to take advantage of my education, maybe I could just go all the way. Sometimes, the smallest choices we make can pay the largest dividends in our lives. Something as small as choosing which chair to sit in can change everything. Rosa Parks chose to change seats. Her brave choice to move from the back row of the bus to the front row of the bus changed America's future. Now, I'm no Rosa Parks, but my choice to move from the back row of the classroom to the front row of the classroom changed my future. Sometimes, the smallest choice we make can bring about the greatest impact in life, for good or for ill. We make many choices for better or for worse all day long, every day. It's so routine that we're not even aware of it. You're out with your colleagues decompressing after work, and you're having a great time. You tell them, it's been fun, but I'd better get home. Oh, no, they say. Have just one more with us before you hit the road. You have a choice to make. You're finally in the car heading home, and the light up ahead has just turned yellow. You could slam on the brakes, but it's just as easy to give it a little more gas, and you're almost positive you're going to make it through that light just fine. You have a choice to make. You're starting to feel the effects of that last drink with your colleagues, but you're pretty sure you can make it home. You could stop, but you're almost there. You have a choice to make.
Sometimes the smallest choices we yield, we, we uh, choose yield the largest repercussions in life. You can finally pay off that credit card bill, but you've really been thinking about that new pair of shoes you saw, and you tell yourself, if I make the minimum payment on that bill again, I can buy those shoes, and the interest payment's not gonna be that much more. You find those shoes on the website, and they are perfect. But you hear your little one in the next room. She's been full of energy, and she's been running and screaming ever since you got home, and you're about to lose it with her. You have already told her multiple times to calm down, but she's still running all over the house, and you're thinking, if she comes in here making all that noise, I'm going to really let her have it. But right now, you're focused on those shoes. And just as you are about to click Add to Cart, here she comes running and screaming right to you. You have a choice to make and a split second to make it. Sometimes the smallest choice we make brings about the largest consequences in life. Choices. That is one of the themes running through the passages in the Bible that we read this morning. The first passage was from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Hebrew Scriptures. It is a retelling of the early history of Israel and a restating of the law. Most of the book is written so that it appears as if Moses gives three long speeches to the Israelites after they've wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and just before they cross the Jordan River and enter the Promised Land. The passage we read this morning is a part of Moses' third speech in which he warns the Israelites of the temptations they will find when they cross the Jordan and mingle with those Canaanites. And Moses pleads with the people to be loyal to the God they believe in. As our passage opens, Moses quotes God saying, See, I set before you good and evil, life and death. You have a choice to make. If you choose the good, you will live and multiply and be successful. If you choose evil, you shall not live long in the land, but the choice is yours. In the passage from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 14, we read what sound like harsh, unfriendly words that would be impossible to keep. Luke has Jesus saying, If anyone comes to me and does not hate their own father and mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even hate their own life, then they cannot be my disciple. Discipleship? <laughs> you have a very tough choice to make. As strange as it may sound, I am not so concerned about these words from Luke. You see, I feel like I know Luke pretty well. He's my favorite gospel writer. And I have studied him intensely. And I know that Luke, in his enthusiasm to tell the story of the Christ, sometimes resorts to speaking in hyperbole, which is what I believe he's doing in this passage. Another prime example of Luke's use of hyperbole is found in the first chapter of Luke's second book, 
the book of the Acts of the Apostles. In that first chapter, Luke tells the story of the death of Judas, which recorded elsewhere as well. But Luke's telling of the story is so wildly blown up that it's almost comical. Well, here, in the 14th chapter of the gospel, Luke says that if anyone does not hate mother, father, spouse, even one's own wife, then one's not fit to be a follower. If we were to read this same story in the gospel according to Matthew, we would read that Matthew records the word simply, excuse me, simply as the one who loves mother and father more than me is not worthy. Well, that sounds somewhat better to our 21st century ears. Look, I admired Luke's great enthusiasm for telling a story, even if he does exaggerate to make his point. But underneath it all, as Luke talks about discipleship, he is really saying, you have a choice to make, and it is a really important choice. And whatever you decide may have profound implications for your future. Choices. As I thought about this theme, I started reading references and old class notes from my seminary days. And my readings took me first to Aristotle, which took me to theological terms involving choices that I had stopped dwelling upon a long time ago. Free will, providence, predestination, salvation, and so it went until my eyes started to glaze over and my thinking became muddled trying to follow so many different lines of thought that got me somewhat confused when I was a seminary student. Suffice it to say that our theology tells us that we are created free to make our own choices. Now, one of the originators of our Protestant tradition, John Calvin, would probably tell us that if left to our own devices, then we most likely will choose wrong, but it's still our choice to make. And as you listen to my words and contemplate today's biblical readings, perhaps you are thinking that these choices are almost too easy. Life rarely seems to present issues so starkly in black and white. Most of life is lived somewhere in some shade of gray, which is true of the decisions that we make daily. And I would agree with you. Today's scripture passages do not deal with gray issues like why do things not work out when we know we've done our best? Why do bad things happen to really good people? If we want to wrestle with those issues, then we go to the wisdom literature of the Bible. But today's lectionary passages hold before us the uncomfortable notion that when presented with choices, there is often the better way versus the way that we'd really rather go. Look at the choices that some biblical characters made. The book of Genesis starts off with perhaps the biggest one of all, if we take the story literally, and if we could have listened in on the very first conversation, I imagine it would have gone something like this. Adam, Eve, the serpent, are all in the garden. And the serpent says, well, of course the choice is yours, but I mean, it's just one little bite. What could it hurt? <laughs> 10 times, Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. 
10 times, Pharaoh chose to say no. On the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter followed him at a distance. Three times, the people said to Peter, who saw him, people said, you were with him. And each time, Peter chose to say, I don't know him. Sometimes, seemingly the smallest choices produce the greatest consequences in life. But these are all negative choices. Look at some of the positive ones in the Bible. Ruth chose to remain faithful to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and the entire family found redemption. Mary chose faithfulness to the strange message of the angel and became the mother of Jesus. A person is robbed and left on the side of the road to die. Leaders of the town see the victim, but walk by him on the other side of the road. It is the lowly Samaritan, a person who is despised by the better citizens of the town, who stops to help the victim. Choices have consequences. That is another theme within this morning's biblical passages. We make choices constantly, often without realizing the weight of their impact. Years ago, when I lived in the South, I had a casual friend who relocated to the Midwest. Over time, of course, we lost contact with each other. He was just a casual friend. Some years later, however, I had heard that he had moved back to town. I thought about contacting him again, but honestly, I had grown busy with other things and with other friends. One day, though, just as I was about to run out of the house, I thought about him and decided to contact him just to see if he wanted to get together sometime. The result of that one phone call was that we became fast friends. He is the reason I was able to escape a life of discrimination in the South and start anew in San Francisco 24 years ago. Sometimes the smallest choice a choice as small as making a phone call produces the greatest dividends. What choices are looming on your horizon? Maybe you're weighing the choice of whether to stay in your current job or jump into the unknown and try something different. Perhaps you have a long lost friend who you've been thinking about. Maybe now's the time to contact that person to see if the friendship can be rekindled. Perhaps there is a person with whom you have become estranged. Could the time finally be right to contact that person again? After all, God is in the reconciliation business and calls us to the same. Our Seventh Avenue community is in the process of making some huge choices right now you have chosen seven people to serve on the pastor nominating committee whose job it will be to find the right candidate to bring before the congregation to be chosen as our next pastor. And you have honored me by choosing me to chair that committee. Our work and our choices are difficult. And we ask for your prayers as we search for the right candidate. Choices are important. They can have great implications for our future. And most of us, most of the time, make the best decisions we can, given the information that we have at the time. 
But still, how do we decide what is the right choice to make? There are no easy answers. And I find it interesting that as I study the two biblical passages we read this morning, I hear words that are hard directives, but I do not sense any gentle leading of the Spirit, which is where our theology keeps us the most comfortable. Nope. These passages seem to tell us that it is up to us to choose. Free will reigns. Perhaps life is best summed up in this passage from Deuteronomy. There we see Moses standing before all of the Israelites as they are about to enter the promised land. The scenario is simply and profoundly placed before us as we hear the words, I have set before you this day good and evil, life and death. The choice is yours. But further down the passage, we do get a hint of how to proceed. Choose the good. Choose life. In the name of the one who created us as people free to make our own choices, in the name of the Christ who showed us how to choose life, in the name of the Spirit who empowers us to share goodness and life with an anguished world. Amen. Please.
as we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
one, you have fed us in word, in silence, in song, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Go out in peace, and as you go, remember who you are and whose you are and all of the choices that you will make. Amen. And may the grace of God who created you in love the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be loved, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.